Welcome to the Planning Parent Podcast, where we talk to real parents and professionals about solutions and strategies to minimize the hustle and bustle that we parents face daily. This is a place where you will come to listen, learn, and share about all things parenting. I am your host, Krista Hermance. I am a busy mom to two little girls, a wife and estate planning attorney with a focus on families with minor children, an entrepreneur, scuba diver, and golf hobbyist. My passion is helping families create simplicity and bliss in their everyday lives. Welcome to our show. Hello, my name is Krista Hermance, and I am the host of the Planning Parent Podcast. And I'm very excited uh, because today I am actually going to be speaking with you about estate planning. So I am an estate planning attorney. I am licensed in the state of California, and our firm actually focuses on estate planning for families with minor children. Um, With the Planning Parent, I thought it is such an important topic that we share it with parents so that they can understand why estate planning is so important. So I'm going to give you just a very kind of brief overview of what estate planning is, why it's important, and the different aspects of it. So if anything, you walk away from this episode with a little bit of understanding about the different types of estate planning. And when you hear these kind of legal terms, maybe you have a little bit more information that helps guide you on determining, is it something that I need to do for my family? Okay. So what is estate planning? Well, estate planning is an opportunity for you to put legal documents in place that if something were to happen to you, and I know it's hard to think about. And honestly, it is one of the reasons why most people put it off for as long as they can. It's because they don't want to think about it. But it's an opportunity for you to put your wishes in writing so that they are legally documented that if something happened to you, that these wishes were known. That if they had to go to court, the court knows legally what you would want. Again, I understand it's hard, but it's so, so important to do. So what happens then if you don't have legal plans in place? Well, there are different things that we look at uh, when it comes to that. Um, So for uh, guardianship, and that's relating to minor children, if you don't have any type of guardianship nomination, like what you would want to happen to your children if something happened to you and the other parent, then you have a court making decisions for you. And If there's nothing legally in writing that says who you would want, you have a court making these decisions where they don't know you, they don't know your kids, they don't know your family situation, and they don't know who you would want. And so they're choosing who they think would be best for your kids, but it may not be somebody that you would want. The other things we look at is if there are no types of plans in place is we look at um, if somebody was incapacitated, meaning they didn't have the mental capacity to make medical decisions on their behalf or make financial decisions on their own. This is when you would have a conservatorship that would be able to be appointed by the court to be able to make those decisions for somebody. And again, this is only for incapacity. So if somebody, you know, is in a car accident um, and they didn't, they didn't have the mental ability to make decisions, or maybe they had a stroke. So this is the court saying, this is who is going to make these decisions for you. Okay. And then the other thing without having a plan that we look at is what that when somebody passes away, well, what happens to their assets? 
how are those assets distributed to their heirs or beneficiaries? Um, and you know, oftentimes this is where probate court comes in. Um, so probate court, to give you an idea, and again, I'm in California, but it's it's very similar for a lot of other states. It's always best to work with an attorney in the state that you are, are in, but this is just to give you an idea. So Reasons that we try to avoid probate court, um, because probate court is basically just this process that when somebody passes away and they own assets or property in their own name, in order to get those assets or property to their heirs or beneficiary, it has to go through this court process called probate. In California, it is a very long process. It can take one to two years. It is a public process, so anybody can go to the courthouse, pull the records, and find out what you own, who you owe money to, and who your beneficiaries are. And it's also very expensive. So to give you an idea of how expensive it is, and I know that there are other states that are very similar to this, is if you have a gross estate, meaning everything that's included in the estate, let's say there's a home worth $490,000, that's the fair market value, not how much money you have in equity, but just how much the house would sell for let's say $10,000 in the bank. Well, that would give you a probate estate worth about $500,000. So in California, the statutory fees for the attorney and personal representative are $26,000. Okay? I did not say that incorrectly. $26,000 for a $500,000 estate to go through probate. And that's not even including the costs that can be, you know, two to four thousand dollars on top of that. So you're looking between twenty-eight to almost thirty thousand dollars for a five hundred thousand dollar estate to go from a parent that passes away to their two kids, right? That's that's with no fighting. Everybody's amicable. It's just the cost to go through it. So those are the reasons why people generally try to avoid probate court is to keep things out, right? Because of those reasons. So when we look at estate planning, well, you say, well, what is estate planning? Well, estate planning, I like to think of it as kind of this umbrella, right? You have this umbrella and under the umbrella fits all of these different specific legal documents. And so we have a power of attorney. We have health care decisions. We have a will, revocable living trust, guardian nomination. Okay, those are the big kind of five that I like to think of when we think of this kind of umbrella of estate planning. So I'm going to go through those with you so that you have an idea what each of these documents do. Because a lot of times I have people that call in and they'll say, oh, um, I just, you know, I just need a will or I just need a power of attorney. And, you know, when I start talking to them and I ask the questions about, you know, what they're looking for, that's actually not what they need. They need an entire estate plan, but they're just familiar with those terms because that's what they've heard and, and people tell them, oh, that's what you need. And so it's really, for me, it's about educating. So that's what we're going to do is we're going to go through what these different documents are, what they do, and if anything, you will be better informed at the end of this podcast to understand how this kind of estate planning stuff fits together. Okay. So the first one is the power of attorney document. Um, I hear lots of different words for this. It is specifically relating to financial decisions. So power of attorney for financial decisions. And what is the power of attorney? Well, it is basically just a legal document where you give to your agent, um, sometimes known as an attorney, in fact, the ability to make financial decisions on your behalf if you are unable to do so. Okay, so paying the mortgage, filing taxes, going to the post office, going to the bank, anything that if you were unable to do it, 
somebody could step into your shoes to be able to act on your behalf with this, with this power of attorney. Okay. Um, the great thing about the power of attorney document is when you're completing it, you, you know, you have the capacity, you understand what's going on. So you get to pick the agent. Whereas before, when I talked about the conservatorship, you know, that's, that's what we're trying to prevent is something from happening and not having these legal documents in place. And so by doing this power of attorney document yourself, you're saying, I get to pick who I want to be my agent. It's my decision. And you're able to identify them. Okay. You'll be able to identify them to be able to help you that if you were incapacitated, they could help manage your financial affairs. When you have a power of attorney document, you're not losing any rights. Okay. Another thing that I, I really like about in California, and I knew, I know it's in other states too, uh, but I do know that some states actually don't have this, but we have what's called a springing power of attorney. And so what that means is that when you sign the power of attorney document, it specifically says that this power of attorney, while it's effective, it doesn't actually go into effect that the agent can act on your behalf unless you were to become incapacitated. So then it only springs into effect upon your incapacity. And so I like that, especially with a lot of the younger families that that we work with, because they're in good health, they have no reason to give that power to anybody right now. And I urge you, if you do have a power of attorney, go look and see what yours says. Because sometimes I have clients that come in that did planning before, and they'll bring me their, their documents to review, and they've already identified their power of attorney agent who is currently in effect, and they didn't know that. So that's one thing to look at. When you're doing the power of attorney document, it's, a, it's really important with any document that you're going to do to make sure that you identify a primary agent, so somebody that you trust right? Somebody that, and if you're married, it may be your spouse. Um, you want to make sure that it's someone that would be able to step in, handle, handle a situation, handle things kind of an emergency situation so that they would have that, that kind of understanding that they would work well under pressure. Um, but make sure to have backup. So you have your primary agent and then backups with any of these documents that I'm talking about. It's so important that you have backup agents identified. And I know it's hard to choose, but it's so important that you do choose. And one thing that I will also say is that when you're choosing your agents, a lot of times these agents are going to have more jobs under your estate plan, right? They're not just going to be your power of attorney. They're probably going to be, you know, your power of attorney, your personal representative in your will and your trust, other things, right? So they kind of go across all of the different documents that we have. One common thing I hear about power of attorney documents um, when people call in is that the power of attorney, they'll say, oh, I had a power of attorney for my parent and they just passed away. Okay. So the power of attorney document only works when somebody is alive, right? So it's giving the ability that when somebody is alive, the ability to act on their behalf. And so the power of attorney isn't going to come into effect most of the time when somebody has already passed away. Okay. So that's something I think important to, to just make note of. Okay, let's talk then about healthcare. So we have document a document that is sp very similar to the power of attorney for financial decisions, but this is a some people call it a power of attorney for healthcare decisions. Uh, in California, we call it an advanced healthcare directive. It's also known as a living will, 
And what this document does, very similar to the power of attorney, is it allows you to identify an agent to be able to make medical decisions on your behalf if you were unable to do so. So if you were incapacitated, this is the person that would step in to be able to say, you know, what course of treatment or what action to take to talk to the doctors to understand what was going on. Um, There's a very famous case, the Terry Schiavo case, where Terry was a young woman. She lived in Florida with her husband and she had a stroke and she had no advanced healthcare directive, living will, any kind of document like this that would say what she would want because she was young, right? When you're young, you're like, I don't need these documents. And through her case, when she had gotten to the point of she was in this persistent vegetative state, her husband wanted to take her off of life support, but her parents did not. So then ensued 15 years of legal battles hundreds of thousands of dollars that it cost for all of the legal fees involved. In the end, her husband didn't end up prevailing and he took her off life support and she passed away shortly thereafter. Nobody knew what Terry wanted, right? Besides Terry's parents saying this is what she wanted and her husband saying this is what she wanted. There was nothing legally in writing. And so the courts, they didn't know. And so this could have been prevented by having a a document, this this living will, this advanced healthcare directive or power of attorney for healthcare decisions with the with her choices in there, right? And that's why it's so important to make sure that you have these discussions with your your important people. I call them your VIPs. You have these important discussions, you have these documents done correctly and legally, so that you make sure that if something happens, your wishes would be legally known and they could be they could be completed the way that you want them to be. The other thing with the advanced healthcare directive is it has certain other end of life decisions. So, did you want a burial? Did you want cremation? Did you want to do any type of organ donation for transplant purposes or medical research? Did you want prolonged life with extreme measures or would you want to be taken off prolonged life support? So, in addition to that, you have your agents you're going to identify, again, having that primary and those backups to make those decisions. Another important healthcare document is a HIPAA authorization. This HIPAA authorization allows you to say, here's people that I would want to be able to talk to doctors, get medical records, find out what was going on if I couldn't communicate that I wanted them to be able to, to talk to these doctors. So any, and so oftentimes I have clients that maybe they'll have, you know, a bunch of family members that they want on their HIPAA authorization because they want them to know, but they don't want them making decisions, right? So they don't have them as agents on their advanced healthcare directive, but they have them on their HIPAA authorization. Okay. Okay, next is probably the most common document when it comes to legal documents, which is the will. So what is it? Well, a will is a legal document in which you give certain instructions to be carried out after you pass away. In your will, you say how you want your assets distributed. So if you have money, property, um, anything like that, that's where you would say how you want it distributed. If you have minor children, so in California, it's under the age of 18, this is where you would nominate guardians for your minor children. We'll talk about that later. In your will, you can also say how your kids get your money, um, if they're minors or if they're adults or any of your beneficiaries, how you would want them to receive those assets that can be identified in your will. Remember, a will, when somebody passes away, it is a public document because it gets filed with probate court. So 
the biggest thing with having a will, like I said in the beginning, is with avoiding probate court because probate court is a public process. And so we see this all the time with celebrities, like on TMZ, when a celebrity passes away, if they had a will or they didn't have a will and it's in probate court, you know, they're there reporting what's going on because it's a public record. They can pull those documents to find out what's going on. If somebody passes away and they do not have a will, in California, for example, and in every state, they would have what's called intestate law. And so it basically says, here's your estate plan if you pass away without a plan, right? So they have a plan for you. And it may not be what you want, um, especially if you have um, you know, blended families or one of the kids is now estranged. Um, they're still your kids, right? And so I see it more often than I would like to admit, where a family member or a parent passes away and then one of those estranged kids shows up because they didn't have a will, right? And they get a portion of the estate. Um, one of the biggest myths I hear from people, and I would, I would like it so much if you can remember this because I feel like it's so important, is that having a will avoids probate court. This is what I hear. And this is not true, okay? Having a will does not avoid probate court. Because what a will is doing is it's telling the probate court how to distribute the estate, right? So it almost guarantees probate court. Okay. Next is the trust. Now, um, depending on where you are, you know, and this is, again, while working with an estate planning attorney in your area is so important, it's understanding if you need a trust or if maybe your state just requires a will, right? And that's why, why working with an estate planning attorney, I think, is so important. In California, because the probate process is something that most people want to avoid because of those, you know, the three things that I talked about, the cost, the time, and the privacy, we like revocable living trusts. Um, I think it is a really great tool for anybody that owns a home. If they have minor children, they have life insurance. I think the revocable living trust provides a lot of protection. So what is it? Well, it's basically just an agreement between the grantor, which is the creator of the trust, and the trustee, the person who agrees to hold legal title to all of the assets in the trust. And the trustee follows all of the instructions in the trust, in this agreement, to distribute assets to the beneficiaries, okay? So three kind of big terms I just threw at you, grantor, trustee, and beneficiary. So while you are alive and you create this revocable living trust, and if you're married, you can have a joint revocable living trust. Again, depending on the state that you're in, you might have separate trust, you might have joint. California is a community property state. We generally do joint trust depending on how assets are owned. But these three things, the grantor, the trustee, and the beneficiary, while you are alive and you have a revocable living trust, you are all three of these things, right? You're creating it. You're in charge over all of these stuff. And all of the stuff is there for your benefit. So you're not releasing any control. It's all there for your benefit. You can do with it however you want with a revocable living trust. One of the biggest myths I hear with trusts are that trusts are just for wealthy people. So it's, you know, I'm not Bill Gates' level of wealth. I don't need a trust. Well, I don't think you need to be, right? If you own a home, like the example I gave in California, you own a home that's worth $500,000 and you have $20,000 in equity, well, that house is still going through probate to get to your beneficiaries. It could be avoided by having a trust. 
right? If that house was in the trust, then it wouldn't have to go through probate, right? It would avoid probate. And that's where, that's where trusts come in is the ability to hold assets so that they can avoid the probate process and be distributed how you want them to be privately. So what are some of the benefits of having a trust? Well, especially working with families with young kids, and we don't only work with families with young kids. A lot of times our clients come in and, you know, they do have young kids and we help them and then they'll say, oh, you know, we need, my parents need a trust or my grandparents need a trust or my aunt and uncle need a trust, my siblings need a trust. And it kind of just, you know, starts the whole process because once families understand how, how much this is a benefit and how not having it could be, you know, could be very harmful for the families from a financial perspective, making decisions, tearing families apart, having all this stuff in writing, it just makes it very easy to understand what the wishes were. So some of the benefits, again, is if you have minor children is you can actually set up subtrust in your trust so that if something happened to you and if you're married, something happened to you and your spouse, rather than the money going to the kids when they turned 18 through the court, if the money was going to the kids through the trust, you could say, well, I would want them to get money at maybe 25, 30, 35, really kind of extending the time that they would receive that money. Because odds are, if they inherit money when they turn 18, that money isn't going to last very long. Whereas here, they're only getting distributions at certain ages. It's going to keep that money lasting a lot longer. A trust also provides protections for children's inheritance from predators, creditors, and divorce. So, you know, obviously lots of things when it comes to estate planning, but it's thinking about, you know, what if your spouse got remarried and they got remarried and they took the assets that they had and commingled them with a new spouse and then something happened to them and then the new spouse had all the assets. Well, how do you know any of that money went to your kids? I've seen it happen where it doesn't. I see it happen a lot, right? Where the kids get nothing from the, from the step parent. Unless there is something legally in writing that makes sure that they're going to get it. Okay. Another really great benefit is that you get to choose the trustee that you would want to manage the finances for your kids. So remember, you are the trustee while you are alive. You have what's called an executor or a successor trustee that would step in if you were incapacitated or you were to pass away. And then you, so you get to choose who that person is. You might want to choose it. Maybe it's the guardian that you would want for the kids. So, you know, they're managing the money but they're also managing the guardianship for the kids, but it doesn't have to be. So maybe you choose somebody that you know is really great with money, that they're going to be the trustee for the trust if something were to happen to you, but they're horrible with your kids. So you don't want them to be guardians. So then you have somebody else that you, that are, that's amazing with your kids. They love your kids and they would be great guardians, but they're horrible with money. So then you have these kind of two two different people in these two different roles that fit them better and just know that they're going to be able to provide all of this protection to make sure that your kids are cared for. Having a trust, again, it's private, right? So no court involvement is the idea there, which means less money that's going to be spent. That's more money that's going to be going to your kids, to your beneficiaries. One of my biggest things that I love about trust with minor kids is when it comes to life insurance. So if you have a life insurance policy and you, you know, if you follow me on social media, you've probably heard me talk about life insurance and listing kids as minor beneficiaries. So because, because they're minors and they can't actually receive that money, it has to go through court to be able to get to them. And so if you have a trust set up, you could say on your life insurance policy, well, I want my spouse as the beneficiary and then my trust as the backup, or I want my trust as the beneficiary. 
and not put your kids, that money, instead of going to your kids, is going to go into your trust to be distributed at 25, 30, 35 to your kids. So avoiding that probate process and being protected for your kids through the trust rather than having to go through them through court. Right. And that is one of the greatest benefits that I think is is amazing for families with young kids is just that. Right. Having the ability to say how they're going to get that money so that it's going to be protected in trust for them rather than them having to get it through the court system. Okay, last thing I want to talk about is real quick guardian nomination. So when we look at guardian nomination and my firm, we do long term guardians and we look at short term guardians, short term guardians. We look at really for, you know, if there was an emergency, who do you have within like 30 minutes that could be to the kids that if there was some type of emergency, they would be there and 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 taking the kids to prevent child protective services from removing the kids from the home and putting them in foster care until family could get to them. This is so important for families that maybe don't have any families around them. You know, I see a lot of times we have transplants where, you know, one spouse gets a job here and all of their families located on the East Coast and they have no family around. And so it would take so much time for family to actually get to the kids if there was like a car accident or something where both parents were injured. So doing that short-term guardian, you're able to identify people that, you know, the kids know that they're comfortable with that are close by. So that's the first one. The second then that we do is the long-term guardians. And so when you're doing a guardian nomination, and this is probably what I see the most pushback on parents when it comes to estate planning is they can't figure out who they want to choose or they can't decide with their spouse and there's, you know, they're not, they're not able to decide. And so they just don't do it. Okay. Do whatever you can. You're going to need to compromise, but something is better than nothing. Okay. So when you're doing a long-term guardian, it's, you know, choosing a guardian that shares the same parenting styles as you. They have the same values. will provide the best love, education, and support for your kids. You are the best parent for your child. But if you couldn't be there, who would you want to step in to make sure that they were there to love your kids? I know it's hard. I completely understand that. But it's so important to get something legally in writing, right? This is your opportunity to document your wishes very specifically so that if something happened, your wishes would be known. Okay? Okay. So that is estate planning. Right, those five kind of areas of documents that we talked about, um, it, all of these documents together make up an estate plan. All of the documents, they all do something specific. They all have a, a different purpose. They're all important. So it's not just getting one, right? It's kind of having all of these under your tool belt, right? Under your protection umbrella. If you need to do estate planning, again, um, we are licensed in California, but we work with attorneys all over the country. So wherever you are, go to estateplanningmom.com. I will link, I will link it in the show notes, um, and you can find an attorney that works in your state. Right? If you're ready to get started on your plan, get something legally in writing. Um, it's you know it's so important to do because again, without anything in writing, nobody knows what you want. The courts don't know, and you have to make sure that it's done the correct way. I see people that come to me and they send me a will from somebody that's passed away, but it wasn't signed correctly. They printed it offline. They didn't follow the instructions, and it just it wasn't signed the right way, and it's, so it's invalid, right? It doesn't – sometimes I feel like it gives us this false sense of security, 
right, that these plans are done, but they're not done correctly. If they're not done legally, the court's not going to accept them. So if you need help, again, go to estateplanningmom.com, find an attorney in your state. Um, If we don't have one there for you, just make sure to reach out to us and we can send you a referral for attorney in your state. I hope if anything you found value and just really kind of getting started and understanding what the estate planning process is. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for the Planning Parent Podcast. Please make sure to subscribe, rate, write a review, and share our podcast. Please check the show notes for resources and all the ways to connect with us, including joining our community on Facebook at The Planning Parent, and follow us on Instagram at The Planning Parent. We hope you enjoyed your time with us and got some great solutions and strategies to help you achieve the simplicity and bliss you deserve. And remember, take a deep breath. You do matter. You're doing a great job.